City of Thieves, Athena's Fortune, written by Chris Alcock, narrated by Toby Stevens. Chapter One, Ramsey. Long ago. Ramsey's boots were filled with icy water, and the howling winds drove sheets of stinging spray across his face as he struggled to keep his grip on the helm. He was fairly certain that the next wave was either going to capsize them or completely splinter their ship to matchwood. This, he thought with satisfaction, is what being a pirate is all about. Wrenching at the ship's wheel with an effort that made his aching arms scream in protest, Ramsey leaned forward to bellow an order to his crew below. He might as well have been whispering, for the storm snatched at his commands and carried them away. No matter. Each of the crew was an experienced sailor, and the last few days, sailing through what felt like literal hell, had taught them to anticipate each other's actions. For now, they would work without words. Ramsey squinted through the darkness and the rain to make out Rathbone and Mercia moving in tandem. They had lashed ropes to the railings and tied them securely around their waists as they wrestled with the sails, desperately seeking the ever-shifting balance that would keep the ship darting between the waves without the sails being torn to shreds. Behind them, a flash of lightning illuminated Shan as he staggered up to the prow. He held a battered bucket in his hands and began emptying its contents overboard, bailing away rainwater that had trickled down into the lower decks. Those three pirates, along with Ramsey, represented the entire complement of the Magpie's Wing, the tiny ship he'd commissioned especially for this voyage. His friends and rivals had scoffed at the idea of setting sail with such a tiny crew, least of all into the Devil's Shroud. But that was precisely why they'd failed, where Ramsay had succeeded. The Devil's Shroud. Every pirate grew to know its name, even if they preyed upon waters a hundred miles or more from that cursed region. Ramsay had never been a superstitious man, but you didn't have to believe in undersea gods or arcane rituals to experience the fog's effects for yourself, and learned swiftly that it was a very real threat indeed. The shroud ebbed and flowed across a vast region of the sea, writhing like a living thing. Unwary ships could easily be drawn into its fringes, even if they'd sailed that route without incident for years. Any vessel that did slip its course and find itself in those strange ethereal clouds would soon realize it, for its crew would begin to taste an odd tang upon the air, not quite sour and not quite rotten, but cloying on the tongue and in the back of the throat. It was like trying to take a deep gulp of black treacle, Ramsay mused but a treacle that soon began to burn cold like a hand held too long in ice. Masks and scarves across the face would do nothing to help, and before long, once able seamen would be coughing and spluttering, choking on the very air around them. Often, 
They'd be so overcome that they wouldn't realize their ship was dying too. Whatever fell curse the region inflicted upon people foolish enough to enter it would also work its will upon wood and metal. Beams would begin to split and twist, buckling and warping the planks that made up the ship's hull. The nails that held them in place would start to rust away to a fine red powder. The beleaguered crew would be fighting a losing battle against an onslaught of leaks and breaches as murky water poured in below decks, new ruptures appearing faster than the old ones could be bunged or repaired. Yes, any seafarer with a promising career and a decent life expectancy soon learned not to sneer at the existence or the threat of the Devil's Shroud. Though the challenge just made each ambitious pirate all the more determined to see what was on the other side. Ramsay had hardly been the first to dream of the uncharted waters encircled by those malevolent mists, imagining an oasis at the center like the eye of a storm that would contain, well, anything. Everyone had their own notions of what might lie beyond the veil, and the topic was a favorite talking point during fireside conversation, or whenever drink had been shared liberally. Fabulous riches usually featured heavily in people's imaginations, although long-lost civilizations hoarding said fabulous riches, and exotic beasts who could be captured and sold for fabulous riches were also common. A few naysayers would dismiss the idea of there being anything behind the shroud at all, but they were quickly jeered out of the conversation. It was far more fun to believe. Still, Ramsay had always been sure that until the day mankind learned to fly like the birds, dreaming would be the only way anyone would peek beyond the shroud. There had been so much to see and do in the wider world, so many places to plunder and battles to be fought, that he'd been content to leave the mystery unsolved. Unsolved and largely unheeded for many years, until one day he crossed paths with Mercia. You're blocking my light, the pirate said curtly. Ramsay shifted apologetically as the pirate Mercia glanced up in irritation. The library in which they'd met barely seemed able to accommodate a tall and imposing pirate like Ramsay. He felt distinctly out of place in the serious and musty building, with his unkempt hair tied back using scraps of cloth and a bristly beard that made him seem older than his years. His seafarer's garb Bridges, a rough linen shirt, and a bulky greatcoat topped with a wide-brimmed hat only served to make him more incongruous among the crowded shelves. Now well into his third decade, Ramsay had accumulated quite a bit of heft from the fine dining that success could offer. Thanks to the rigors of a life at sea, it was still mostly muscle, and he aimed to keep it that way for as long as possible. Squeezing himself onto the bench opposite Mercia, though, he found himself wishing he were a smaller man. His elbow brushed against a stack of books, nearly scattering them, 
and he apologetically clamped a sun-tanned hand down upon the pile. And now you're spoiling my work, Mercia sighed. It's Captain Ramsay, isn't it? You've got quite the reputation around here. All of it deserved, I assure you, Ramsay grinned. Mercia did not. You're an exceptional pirate yourself, I hear, he continued, beguilingly. One with a lot of books and some curious ideas. Curiosity is correct, Mercia replied, considering Ramsay for a moment, as if debating how much time to spend indulging him. And I don't just mean poking my nose into other people's treasure. We've all seen things out there that we couldn't explain. Well, some of us want answers, and we have ways of finding them out. Ramsay frowned. Alchemy, he ventured. Natural philosophy, Mercia said, patiently. It's a way of approaching what you don't understand. Solving mysteries like... One gloved hand waved vaguely. Why does a compass point north? Who built the old temples you find sometimes and why? What precisely is the Devil's Shroud? Some people say it's a form of magic, as if that were any explanation. But I have another idea. Mercia began to speak at length of the mysterious fog, and the means by which one might chart its boundaries, and Ramsay sensed his own interest in the barrier rekindling. He felt some measure of shame at this, for the last few years had been very kind to him, bringing him a wife and two young children. The black diamond ring upon his swarthy finger was a symbol of the promise he had made his beloved to one day provide her with all that she deserved. Mercia had paused, and Ramsay realized he was expected to contribute to the conversation. Truth be told, he admitted, things are getting a bit too familiar around here. The same old taverns, stories I can parrot word for word. Finding a way through the shroud, now, that'd be an adventure to stick in the mind. Think you're man enough for the job? He'd chosen these words deliberately, and Mercia's eyes flashed in provocation. We'll need charts, Mercia shot back with no hesitation. Calendars, too. There's a shop in town that has some I've had my eye on. Smaller craft uses scouts. Oh, and a ship, of course. She'll have to be swift and nimble, but tough. I don't understand half of what you've told me tonight, Ramsay admitted with a toothy smile. But rest assured, I know what makes a fine ship. You'll be aboard her when we sail? Mercia smiled back for the first time. Just you try leaving without me. They'd had the magpie's wing built in secret. A craft tiny enough to thread its way through those twisting roots where a ship might sail in safety. Together, Ramsay, Mercia, Shan, and Rathbone had stuffed the hold with floats and coracles to send out ahead, and stout wooden planks to patch up any damage they might take on their journey. They packed their provisions and made their final preparations until eventually there were no more reasons to delay. All that remained was Ramsay's choice to stay at home with his family or sail headlong into the unknown and be the first man alive to see beyond the Devil's Shroud. The call of the sea claimed him, as it always did, 
and perhaps as it always would. The course they plotted was contorted, and the ship was forced to travel at a veritable snail's pace. Finally, after days of inching their way through the stifling fog, starved of both food and sleep, they emerged into chaos. The shroud had released its grip on Ramsay and his crew, only to spit them into the heart of a massive storm. With no idea of where land might lie, and no possibility of reversing course, they had no choice but to press on into the downpour. Another bolt of lightning, this one much closer, snapped Ramsay out of his reverie. They'd been lucky so far, able to angle through the waves without broaching and taking only minor damage to the hull, but their good fortune would only last so long. The magpie's wing needed shelter soon. Feeling a tug at his shoulder, Ramsay whipped around to find Shan at his side. Even though the man was clearly bellowing, Ramsay had to bring their heads practically together to hear what he was trying to say. Lamb? Land! Shan shouted again. Eyes widening, Ramsay gestured impatiently and followed Shan's outstretched finger. There was something there, all right. A dark and craggy silhouette that he could barely pick out against the backdrop of the raging monsoon. The ship gave a protesting creak as its captain spun the wheel once more, angling the bow toward the distant rock face. Shan picked his way down to where Rathbone and Mercia, both sodden and exhausted, were still fighting to capture the wild wind within the sails. Rathbone, in particular, seemed dead on his feet, despite being the brawniest of the three, and he gratefully relinquished his position to Shan. Never thought I'd be glad to accept bailing duty, he barked over the cacophony but he had barely filled a bucket before he paused to stare, mortified at the horizon. Ramsay has seen those cliffs we're heading toward, hasn't he? The cliffs that no one in their right mind would take us anywhere near. Shan pretended not to hear him, and continued to wrestle gamely with the billowing cloth overhead. But Mercia snapped, I'm sure Captain Ramsay knows exactly what he's doing before giving the sail a particularly vicious tug. While Mercia's relationship with Rathbone had been civil by and large, he was proving a hard man to really get to know. He was clearly a consummate pirate, despite possessing a clipped English accent, more suited to an officer of the navy. His skin was bronzed by the sun, his shoulders were broad, and his head was shorn to reveal a scar or two. Out of all the crew, he was most fastidious about his appearance, and had come aboard laden with fine cotton shirts and gleaming shoes. Rathbone made a point of shaving every day, and took every opportunity to trim and tidy himself. Mercia wondered if Ramsay knew more about the man, and resolved to ask, assuming any of them survived the night. More rocks were visible now, and the ship seemed to be sailing between two rows of stone columns that jutted out of the water in rows like huge teeth. Lifeless and sheer, they rose up on either side of the magpie's wing. Rathbone suspected he could almost reach out and touch the stone as the ship bobbed wildly on the waves. 
He's gone mad! Rathbone yelled, though Mercia's only response was to fully furl the sails, leaving nothing but their momentum to carry them forward. The looming darkness was almost upon them now, closer then closer still, and Rathbone braced himself to hear the prow snap against the cliffs and feel the deck lurch beneath his feet. Suddenly, there was no more rain pounding down on them, and Rathbone found that he could hear things again, as Ramsay's call for light cut through the air. It took the crew a few moments to obey, groping for the ship's lanterns in the dark with their frozen and fumbling fingers. But one by one, the flickering flames sprang into being and cast pools of orange light across their surroundings. The feeble fire was like a summer sun compared to the darkness they'd sailed through, and more than bright enough to reveal the truth of their whereabouts. The magpie's wing had sailed through a crack in the cliff face and was now drifting through a large cave filled with seawater, moving lazily toward the far wall. They dropped anchor at once, bringing the ship to a full stop and took in their surroundings as Ramsay moved to stand with them. The walls of the cavern were slick from the spray of the sea, and the dark sandy brown rock was peppered with smaller exits and pathways, save for the view to starboard, which offered an unobstructed view of a windswept shore and the turbulent ocean beyond it. The walls extended upward to form a series of high archways, a ceiling of sorts that provided protection from the storm. There were gaps overhead through which vegetation hung down and the sluicing rain cascaded in a series of miniature waterfalls. The nearest was just a few feet away, and Shan carefully hooked a bucket onto a long pole and filled it to the brim with fresh water. One by one, they filled their flasks and drank deeply in mute appreciation, until Shan, ever cheerful, broke the silence. Funny how you only ever realize you're hungry when you've stopped being thirsty, he mused. Are we sure there's no food left? Never mind your stomach, Mercia admonished. Getting warm and dry is more important. Easy for you to say. It's not your stomach. Ramsay drained the last of his flask and stretched. We can burn the floats if they'll take, he declared. Let's start a fire. It won't do if we all get sick. Then we'll see what we have to celebrate with, eh? We're wet, but we'll dry out. We're hungry, but we'll find food. Today, we four have made it through the Devil's Shroud. If that doesn't call for a belly full of grog, then nothing ever will again. This last remark earned a cheer, albeit an exhausted one, which rang around the cavern for a moment as all four roused themselves and went to work. The magpie's wing was eased carefully nearer to land, until she was close enough to a rocky outcropping that the gangplank could be extended. A circle of rocks was fashioned, far from the reach of the storm, although finding wood dry enough to do more than give off a thick, protesting smoke proved a challenge. Rathbone's persistent use of flint and stone eventually yielded a cautious flame and, finally, a hearty conflagration, around which they were all very pleased to warm their hands. 
Shan disappeared off the ship, wordlessly. Though Ramsay knew the man well enough by now not to bother questioning his absence or his motives. Sure enough, his balding head poked back through a crevice in the rocks later, shining anew with fresh rainwater. I found a pathway that leads up to the higher reaches, he said, approaching his crewmates. Against his body, he hugged both the motionless form of a scrawny rooster as well as a few plump bananas. Shan offered the bananas to Mercia, whom he knew avoided meat with a disdain most pirates reserved for an honest day's work, then set about cleaning and preparing the bird for its final resting place, a stained cooking pot that hung above their sputtering fire. Ramsay, who had busied himself filling several casks with yet more of the fresh rainwater, took the opportunity to study the man from afar and recall their first encounter. Every ship needs a quartermaster, with a brain that can juggle a thousand calculations every hour, tallying every spilled pint of greasy grog, and each shot fired in anger, not to mention working out where the crew's next meal is coming from. Ramsay had had no clue who might fulfill such a role on his voyage into the Devil's Shroud, but Shan had come recommended by Rowena, one of Ramsay's few close friends, despite the fact that she'd always kept her feet firmly on dry land. As the owner and proprietor of one of the largest and most dependably disreputable taverns on the coast, Rowena was the de facto matriarch of the town, where she and Ramsay had grown up. They had played together as children. She'd introduced Ramsay to his wife, and he, in return, had used his earnings to help purchase the pub, back when she was its only barmaid. When he told her of his plan to reach the Devil's Shroud, Rowena had promised to reserve his barstool for him, so long as he promised to come back in one piece. Rowena had also pointed Shan out across the crowded bar, a lithe and balding figure with a pronounced tan, a series of silver rings in one ear, and an intricate tattoo that ran down his arm. He was older than Ramsay, perhaps fifty or so, which was both unusual and impressive. Very few pirates lived long enough to think about retiring. What little hair he had left was already a snowy white. Dressed in a plain white tunic and simple knee-length breeches, carelessly barefooted, Shan might almost have been mistaken for a novice deckhand, were it not for the aura of calm that seemed to surround him. He presented a lone oasis of tranquility amid the hustle and bustle of raucous enjoyment while his fingers worked deftly and ceaselessly on something. Intrigued, Ramsay moved closer and wordlessly took a seat opposite, keen not to disturb the man in the middle of whatever creative whimsy had overtaken him. He watched with interest as toothpicks, carved wood, and scraps of cloth napkin were gradually whittled and tied to complete a tiny model pirate ship. Once the miniature vessel was finished to Shan's satisfaction, he painstakingly tied a loop of string around the replica masts and slid the little boat through the neck of a clear glass bottle. Only then did Shan give the string the lightest tug, hoisting the sails upright and glance up at Ramsay for the first time. You're thinking that it's good, but nothing extraordinary, 
he said conversationally, as if the two men had been chatting effortlessly all evening. Ramsay merely grunted in response. Shan took a jug of water and, tilting the neck ever so slightly, filled the bottle and presented it for inspection. The little curio floated just fine, bobbing from side to side as the bottle was poked and prodded by a succession of inquisitive pirates, but it was the final bit of showmanship that convinced Ramsay. Shan placed another ship in its own bottle, alongside the newly fashioned galleon, this one flying the colors of the merchant navy. Next, he pointed out the other string, dangling from his latest creation, and invited Ramsay to grasp it between two of his calloused fingers and tug. Ramsay obliged. With a series of sharp, cracking sounds, the miniature pirate ship let loose a volley from its diminutive cannons, unleashing pellets with such force that they escaped their bottle and pinged their way across the tavern's table and struck the merchant navy ship. Much to Shan's glee, Ramsay let out an audible bark of laughter upon spotting that the stricken navy vessel was already listing, taken down by the barrage of lead shot and sinking slowly toward the bottom of its own fractured container. Welcome aboard, he said wryly, before going on to introduce himself and explain the nature of the proposed voyage. Shan didn't agree to a fateful journey into the shroud right away. Rather, he listened intently, as Mercia's findings, at least the ones Ramsay was willing to share in such a crowded venue, were laid out before him. He suggested a couple of modifications to the design of the magpie's wing, too. But finally, he grasped Ramsay's own paw in a wiry hand, clinked tankards, and asked when they'd be leaving. Since then, Shan meticulously rationed the grog and what food they'd been able to squeeze into the hold. He also insisted on diving under the ship while it was moving so that he could make improvements to her rudder control, and he kept spirits up with the help of a gorgeous concertina. It was his one personal possession, other than the unremarkable clothes he'd been wearing when he boarded. Watching Shan now, as he tended to the roasting fowl, Ramsay felt a surge of gratitude toward Rowena for introducing them, and hoped that he'd have his chance to repay her. Mercia gave a luxurious stretch, tossing the skin of her banana into the water with a loud splash that startled several fish out of their hiding places. Standing, she began to tug at the buckles of the great coat she'd been wearing since the start of the voyage, removing it and spreading its soggy bulk out by the fire to dry. Her boots came next, but it was when she removed her tricorn cap and reached up for the pins that kept her long hair in place that she noticed Rathbone staring at her from across the fire. His face was a battleground, torn between the twin expressions of fury and shock. Problem? Mercia asked, mildly, shaking out curled tresses to settle around her shoulders. Her piercing sapphire eyes gleamed as she faced him down. Finally, the others could see her as Ramsay had come to know her, a fair young woman with pale skin, now framed by waves of blonde hair, whose stern demeanor and slender figure had served her well when seeking a life at sea.
All this time? You're a... Rathbone's normally cold voice was rising in pitch with every syllable. Drying out, she replied firmly, peeling heavy woolen socks away. I've no desire to end up with trenched feet or a peg leg, thanks to a pair of wet boots, and you'd be wise to do the same. I thought women weren't allowed on pirate ships, Rathbone whined, looking to Shan and Ramsay for confirmation and support, and finding neither. Quite a lot of men do, Mercia said shortly, sliding a small dagger from her belt and using it to neatly slice a second banana. In the same way, quite a lot of women think male pirates are a bunch of superstitious, swaggering bores who don't pay nearly enough attention to what's past the end of their noses unless it tastes nice. But out here, the dagger glinted in the firelight as Mercia made a sweeping, dramatic gesture. It's a fresh start. Medicines, maybe, and monsters, too. The old legends have to come from somewhere, and it'll be waiting for anyone who's brave enough and bold enough to step up and take their share. Superstitions be damned. The blade stabbed downwards, skewering a segment of banana, and Mercia popped it into her mouth with a fierce expression that indicated she considered the matter closed. Rathbone's mouth opened and closed a few times, causing him to resemble a gasping codfish, until he stood up swiftly and stomped away into the dim recesses of the cave, along the path that spiraled to the cliffs overhead. Only now did Ramsay approach the fire, privately glad that Mercia had ended the conversation with her words and not her fists. While he figured she had every right to knock Rathbone flat on his back for blindly parroting the foolishness of his forefathers, it was just the four of them out here. The fewer broken noses, the better. Mercia was staring at her own reflection in the shining blade, but glanced up as Ramsay lowered his bulk to sit beside her. Think he'll be a problem? I doubt it, Ramsay replied accepting a bowl of hot, greasy meat from Shan. I've known Rathbone a long time, and he's cunning enough to know a good crewmate when he sees one. He just doesn't like being left out of the loop, that's all. Did you mean what you said about monsters? Mercia shrugged. Maybe. Why? That doesn't seem very natural philosophy of you, that's all. She scoffed at that. I'd be just as bad as Rathbone if I didn't leave an open mind. If we do find a sea monster, the second thing I'm going to do is learn everything I can about it. Second? Ramsay stifled a belch. What's the first? Slash at it with my sword until it stops trying to eat me. Mercia fastidiously oiled her dagger before returning it to its sheath. So now that we've finally made it through the shroud, what's next? Ramsay sucked the last of the hot fat from his fingers while he considered this. We can't stay out here forever, he admitted. Sooner or later, we'll need supplies that can't be foraged and a proper layover at an outpost. Ammunition, maybe, if this place really is as wild as we think. Until then, we see everything we can. Chart and note everything we can. Take everything we can. And bury what we can't. Then we return home to tell our tales and become legends. 
Mercia pulled a face, but deep down, each of them felt the same flicker of pride. Recounting their adventures, if and when they made it home, would see them plied with drink for days, no doubt. One by one, they shared their wild imaginings of what the next few weeks might have in store, talking through the night until the storm had blown itself out. Shafts of unfettered moonlight danced through the ceiling and glittered on the water down below their camp as they spoke. When you've all finished daydreaming, Rathbone called out, his voice distant and reedy from high overhead and filtering down into the cave through one of the gaps in the ceiling. I think you're going to want to come and take a look outside. Intrigued, the crew rose as one and followed Shan up the winding path he'd discovered earlier. They moved in single file as they ascended, pushing through damp leaves and leaving footprints in wet soil as they wound their way higher and higher. Rathbone, lantern in hand, was standing atop the island's highest peak, outlined against a speckled night sky that was dominated by a low and yellow moon. New stars, Rathbone said simply, and he was quite correct. Not one among them could spot familiar constellations or point towards Orion's belt. Even the North Star, brightest of all those distant lights, seemed to have different neighbors. Their compasses at least pointed the way as well as ever, but the implication was at once thrilling and disturbing. Wherever their journey had taken them, they could no longer rely on the constellations to guide the magpie's wing on its voyage. From now on, they'd be sailing under unknown skies. Mm -hmm.